You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me, he is back. He is back from... uh, Gators Breakdown Paternity Leave, I guess. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> Co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his site, readandreaction.com. Will, you got to let uh, everybody know what's been going on the last couple of weeks. Of course, I, you know, we put it out there. on You put it out on social media. I put it out here on the podcast. But uh, welcome to New Baby. Thanks. Little Oliver has made his appearance. So uh, we have a family of six now. So uh, the circle's under my eyes. If I fall asleep in the middle of the podcast, it's because uh, it's because of the little guy. But actually, you know, it's been fun. Like we 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 had waited a little bit longer between the the third one and the fourth one. So there's six years between the two of them, or almost six years. So it's sort of been relearning the the baby in the house. And my parents were well, up here last a lot week. A lot we of had, new technology in the last uh, those years that have gone by. Yeah, I felt a little <laughs> bit like you know the 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 parent that you help with technology or something like that. Like as I'm trying to get the new fangled car seat into the car, <laughs> I try to figure out exactly how to do it. So yeah, I felt I've I felt old many times in the past couple of weeks. And I'm pretty sure that that's only going to continue as I take this little guy into like kindergarten orientation five years from now. And somebody looks up at me and goes, why is he with his grandfather? And, <laughs> and that sort of stuff. But uh, no, we're excited. We're excited. It's fun to you know, we've, we've enjoyed each and every one of our kids and it's been fun. My parents came up and helped out with them this past week. So, uh, it was good to see them. We haven't seen them in like a year and a half because of the pandemic. So it was good to see everybody. They made the track track from Gainesville, right? Uh, yeah. So they drove all the way up and, and, uh, my sister actually had a kid like two days after we did. So it's been sort of a, uh, a little loop that they've been making up here, seeing the grandkids. So it's been a good time. And, and, and in that window, you've been going, Will. Surprise, spring practice has started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, Mullen basically decided he didn't want me criticizing anything he was doing. So he figured that while I was <laughs> while I was on leave, he'd start pr- spring practice. But it, it was weird, right? Because you're it's announced, you know, did I miss something? Like, right. is, it, is it always this early? Like, what, what's <laughs> going on? But, yeah, I, I think the logic actually makes sense. You get this yeah. stuff going. You missed it last year anyway. You didn't have all your bowl, all your bowl practices. Um, oftentimes, you've got those bowl practices and the bowl film to go over with the team in sort of the lull between um, signing day and, and, and spring practice. This time, you don't have that. And so, 
this gives you an opportunity to get out there, get the taste of the Oklahoma game out of your mouth a little bit and uh, get out there, put some stuff on film and then learn that film while you're being punished in the offseason by Nick Savage and hopefully come back in the fall even better rested, ready to go, especially if guys, you know, they're going to be in full pads. They're going to do some hitting. Tackling obviously was an issue last year. And if they focus on that, you know, there's going to be some guys who sprain ankles and, and hurt shoulders and things like that. So this gives you a little bit more time for recovery if that happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, makes sense to do it this way. I mean, why not? We've adjusted every other piece of the schedule over the last 12 months. So <laughs> may as well adjust this to your advantage if you have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I like, I like the reasoning as well. So uh, Gators on the on the field early for for for, for spring practice, and uh, we'll get into plenty of the uh, early storylines uh, that you know only three practices so far. They'll hit practice number four on uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, but full pads uh, in, in practice three. So we'll get into all that. Uh, the plenty, plenty, plenty of storylines <laughs> that uh, uh, that are taking taking shape here uh, for 2021 spring practice. Before we get there, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com/slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as News 4 Jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show on YouTube. A lot of you watching live right now, hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, hit that subscribe button as well. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. And check us out on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. I will so, you know, the number 45 of the 77 players on the roster, this is their first spring. That is uh, it is an alarming number, of course, for all the roster uh, trans, uh, transition from last year to this year for the Gators. But look, you know, for, for a staff that's, you know, known to develop talent and, and not throw players out there on the field before they're ready, you know, spring is huge. Uh, and going back to last season, I do think it hurt this staff not to have that spring uh, to help develop the younger players, and and that's part of part of the reason why you saw them stick with the the experienced players, especially on defense the defensive side of the ball last year. Well, what a difference a year makes. We were saying how if there was one team that could probably afford to miss a spring practice, it was Florida because of, of all the experience that they had. And it kind of turns out they probably needed it uh, at least on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you look. Yeah, young players can build trust in the spring and, and the staff can develop in the spring. Uh, that was taken away. Uh, fall camp didn't really allow for that as they were too busy prepping for the season itself. So now it, you know, every team dealt with this situation. So it's not a, a complete excuse for what happened for Florida, especially toward the end of the season. But I, I do think it affected this staff more than others because of their reputation for development. And, and one of the most important times for development is, is spring. So, Will, 45 players now that will get to work on things, watch film of themselves, get an evaluation from the staff they've never had. With so much change going on with this team, having a spring period is a must with all the new faces on the field, on the sideline, uh, our philosophical change on offense, and, and finding ways to improve uh, a, a, a pretty bad defense from a year ago. Yeah, I mean, it turns out that I think the quarterback and and – Kyle Pitts and and Kadarius Tony really sort of covered up some of the things that probably would have been missing had they missed, say, this year's spring practice, right? And not had these guys have the ability to to go through that and develop and and get reps because once you get close, once you get into fall camp, once you get into the season, the reps are few and far between. And and Mullen and staff have proven that you really have to earn your reps once it comes to the fall and the and the actual season practices. So the spring is a time for everybody to get an opportunity. You're going to get to go against the ones. You're going to go against the twos. You get an opportunity to show what you can do. And all the guys who are who are maybe really 
getting a little bit antsy about getting in there are going to have an opportunity to prove it this spring. Um, that's a big part of it. That yeah, but we we knew this was coming. I mean, we saw the 2020 season, sort of circled it and said, you know, this is really the opportunity. You had Georgia with their quarterback situation with Jake Fromm leaving. You had Alabama with Tua leaving, though obviously Mac Jones played pretty well. And then you had Burrow leaving for LSU. So you looked at and then the schedule was pretty easy, um, at least before Texas AM got added to Florida's schedule. So you looked at 2020 and circled it and said the level of experience and the level of change at other programs leads you to believe that you're going to be able to to make a run and Florida made a run and then just came up short at the end of the last three games. Um, you know, so now Florida is in that exact same situation with all the transition that Georgia, LSU, and Alabama were going through last year. Now Florida is in that same situation, and certainly the spring practice is going to help with that and sort of elucidate it. And obviously – some of the guys that we're really excited about, you know, the the guys like Demarcus Bowman and, and Eric Gilbert, getting those sorts of guys in, getting those guys reps is important when it comes to building trust with the quarterback and making sure that you've got the best guys on the field all the time. And I think, you know, with the addition of guys like Lorenzo Lingard and and uh, Justin Shorter, those guys probably didn't contribute as much last year as they would have had they had a full set of practices. Yeah, Will. So we'll start uh, quarterback position. We finally got to hear from Emory Jones. Uh, He's taking over at quarterback now. So now we'll definitely get to hear from him uh, more in press conferences and all of that. And look, we we all know the change in in offense because of the quarterback position. Uh, It's not to say the Gators won't pass the ball, but now the quarterbacks, mainly Emory Jones, but Anthony Richardson as well. Bring something different to the table by by being able to run the ball. Uh, Not to say to be better or worse, but different. Uh, both guys shown arm talent. Both guys have shown the ability to run. Uh, with that comes some unpredictability uh, within the offense. Look, we know the offense worked last year, even when defenses could and know to play pass. Uh, but even in passing situations with Emory, there's still the threat uh, of running the ball that will only help the offense, leave some unpredictability within the offense. And Zach Carter said last week in discussing the offense uh, in Emory Jones that Emory brings, you know, quote, a different flavor to the offense, athletic guy. He makes you miss. Basically, he keeps you on your toes. You never know what the offense is going to do in the quote there. And we haven't got to hear a whole lot from Emory Jones as in, in his time as a Gator, and that's changing now that he's the guy. And he, he brings up a good point when he talked to the media after first practice that you know, it's the same offense, but but like Carter said, it's a different flavor. So Emory goes on to say the offense, it's not going to change a lot. We still run the same offense. It's just different outlets. And right now, just being able to use all our resources, just take advantage of everything the defense gives us. Well, this is where we will see the numbers advantage and if the threat of a passing game is there, the offense will work purely based on numbers in the, the best fashion possible. I mean, and all, to go along with that, Emory Jones, 6.4 yards per carry the last two seasons when running the ball, struggling offensive line, not much help uh, You know, with, with the running backs. Every, the defense knows runs coming when Emory Jones is in. So all, all that, you know, we've discussed everything at length already about this offense and the change that's happening. But, uh, you know, I, I am interested – we'll be interested to see, and, and they'll figure out this out along the spring. Emory's been there long enough. They they know what he can do well. They know what he struggles with. But how much are the the same plays we see that Kyle Trask ran that they're going to ask Emory Jones to, to, to run but not necessarily have to go through to his third or fourth read because if first read's there, second read's not there, he can take off and run. 
Sure. I mean, I, I think a lot of it's going to be what does he do at this at the line of scrimmage based on the defense. So, yep. you know, there were a bunch of times in that Alabama game where Kyle Trask, I think, essentially audible to um, quarterback draws and everybody just sort of groaned when he did it. Well, if Emory Jones does that because he's got a numbers advantage up front, I think we're going to applaud him because I think he's probably going to get 10 or 11 yards when when the defense gives that. We saw that with Felipe Franks, especially in the Michigan game where Michigan was really spread out and they were able to isolate Felipe Franks on safeties. And Franks, who's significantly less mobile than than Emory Jones, was able to run rampant over the Wolverines. So I think that dynamic is going to be there. But this is the beauty of Dan Mullen's offense. Is it's not real simple to execute, but the concepts are simple. If you have a numbers advantage in the box, then it gives you a one-on-one advantage when you're throwing. Or if you have a numbers advantage in the box as a running quarterback, you take it, you run. If they bring somebody in to take away that numbers advantage in the box, then you throw it because you got one-on-one coverage to the outside. And that really is the key to me for the offense is going to be do the Gators have the guys on the outside who can win those one-on-one battles and open it up for Emory Jones to throw it up. Now, I think some of the things you look at that you're encouraged by is he's only thrown one interception in 86 attempts as a Gator. So he's taking care of the ball. He also, I don't think, has fumbled the ball as a running back. I, I can't recall one, and I don't see it when I look back at his record, even though he's carried it 92 times. And to your, you know, to your point, he's averaged 6.4 yards the last two years per carry, 5.6 over his career, so far, far above average compared to where other quarterbacks are. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be it's the same offense because it's the Dan Mullen offense, right? I mean, it, the the offense changed from Dak Prescott to Nick Fitzgerald, but it's the same general offense, same general principles. But Dak was a much better thrower, and so they let him do that. And Fitzgerald was a much better – or not maybe a much better runner, but a more effective runner than he was a passer, and so they relied on his legs. They were still able to move the ball with both guys, but certainly Prescott had a more successful offense than Fitzgerald did, and I think that's going to be the question. The question isn't going to be are they going to be able to run it with Emory Jones and with the offensive line improvements and with Demarcus Bowman and that sort of stuff. They, they should be a really dynamic team when it comes to running the ball if they can figure out things on the offensive line. The question is going to be, can they win the one-on-one battles on the outside? Can Jones deliver the ball? And does he know where to go with the ball? You know, that was one of the things that became really impressive about Trask is he pretty much knew where he was throwing the ball before the ball was ever snapped. And they used a lot of motion, particularly with Kadarius Toney, to let him know what the defense was doing. That was one of the things that you saw against Alabama. They had Toney in motion all the time, and it was really sort of telling Trask, this is what the defense is going to do. If they can do that with Jones, if he can decipher the defense pre snap and can figure out where to go with the ball the offense is going to continue to be explosive if he struggles with that and you know most quarterbacks struggle with that I mean Trask was really (laughs) that was really one of his big his best traits was being able to do that it's not a knock on Jones if he's not as good as Trask at doing it but that is where you'd see a step back so I'm I'm expecting to see them run the ball a lot more I'm partly because of who else they have back there but Jones is going to be um, he has the arm, right? He has the arm to be able to get the ball in. He's got the arm strength. I don't think that's in doubt. The question is, you know, oftentimes this is something that I think in college is something you really need to look for. You want to see, is he throwing to the guy who's open? Cause it's an easy throw when you throw it to the guy who's open. Oftentimes one-on-one coverage in college, the DB just can't hang. You get a guy wide open. You got to hit him. You got to know to get it to him. You don't want to be throwing in double coverage a lot. Those are the things to be looking for. I think in both spring practice, but also, um, as the season starts. Well, you, uh, I was going to save this for later, man, but it's, it's, this is the best time for the transition now. 
Trading Jimmy Jones comment. <laughs> we got to talk to Trading last night uh, after practice, and I knew it when he said it. It would light the world, Gator Nation on fire. It would light college football world on fire, and it it it, it darn sure did. A lot, a lot of message board comments, uh, a lot of replies <laughs> on Twitter uh, when I posted the uh, the quote here. And Trading uh, t- talks to the media after, and he goes, "Quote: If people think Emory Jones cannot throw the ball, they need to second guess it." Emory Jones can throw the ball as well as Kyle Trask. I think he can do everything with his legs also. I think he will be a great dual threat, and I think he's going to surprise a lot of people in the quote. Well, as I said, comment took off. But my thing is for trading, what is he supposed to say? I mean, I actually give him credit for for, backing his teammate. Uh, At at this time of transition, a lot of change is happening. And my thing is, can you imagine a headline if he had said Emory Jones can't throw the ball? as well as Kyle Trask and how bad of a teammate he is. How would that have been perceived in the locker room and, and among his teammates? So, you know, for me, you know, it, it's being a good take, a good teammate, you know, taken way out of context for, to, to me, for the most part, as it, it wasn't a hit on Kyle Trask. And I, it, you know, it, it was, it was talking up the current quarterback room and current quarterback, current quarterback on the team. And look, as you just said, Will, Emory Jones does have a live arm, probably a bigger arm than Trask, and there are some ways to take that comment and, and make sense of it. Now, there are parts of the passing game that would be hard-pressed to to be at the level of Kyle Trask. You know, the pre-snap read you mentioned, reading the defense after the snap, throwing with accuracy, all things Kyle Trask excelled out, but Emory has a big arm. He can laser it in there and, and really, really launch the ball down the field. And he'll have to work on some of those other things. And that's what spring practice is for. We just haven't really seen enough of it. But I'm not going to fault Trey Dean for the comments he's making for his current quarterback. I mean, I, I just sort of read it and said, you know, it's a guy backing his teammate. And we yeah. all, all they do during the spring is lie anyway. So, you know, you got, <laughs> you got to enjoy it. It's, it's, it's always we lies. Li- we, we lie too. So come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, I know, I remember, I can't remember who the wide receiver was, but wasn't there a wide receiver who basically threw Tebow under the bus when he left? And said, "Now we got a real quarterback." Talking about John oh, Brantley, and then, yeah, and, and that turned out real well. So you know, I, I think, I think the reality is, is that Emory Jones can make every throw Kyle Trask can make. The question is, can he make it on time, and can he make it when the defense dictates the throw is going to go there? And I'm not saying he can't. I'm saying we haven't seen it yet. And the fact that we haven't seen it yet is partly because of he hasn't gotten a lot of playing time, but it's partly because of when he's been in there, Dan Mullen has not allowed him to do a whole lot. So the question that you have to ask is, is the reason Dan Mullen hasn't allowed him to throw very much because he's limited in terms of his ability to get the ball to the right place? Or is it because, you know, they just wanted to keep that to Trask? And and we don't know the answer to that question. To be honest, the only people who probably know the answer are Brian Johnson and and Dan Mullen. What I will say is that Emory Jones completed almost 62% of his passes in high school. And everybody knows who's followed me for any length of time that I think that correlates over time that that, so he's probably going to end up somewhere around 62%. He's at 64% for his Gator career right now, though he's been sort of all over the place. He was 75% his first year and then 66 and then 56. So that maybe worries you a little bit that's going the wrong direction, but very limited playing time, very limited play set. The the thing that I would the thing that I would be concerned about is he he averaged 12 throws per game when he was in high school. But he did average 13.3 yards per attempt. So this isn't Luke Del Rio, who I think averaged like nine yards per attempt in high school and completed 70% of his passes. Emory Jones was being asked to go downfield in high school when he threw, and it was relatively accurate. So I think what we should probably expect is about 62% completion percentage this year. I think you should probably expect he's going to be around 
eight yards per attempt. So significantly below where Trask was last year. Trask was around 10, but he's going to run for, you know, four, four, four and a half yards per attempt because sack yardage starts getting factored into that sort of stuff. I suspect he's going to take a few sta- take a few sacks and that's going to turn into somebody who's almost as effective as Kyle Trask. It's just in a little bit different way. And then the question becomes turnovers because Trask, for all the times he threw the ball into the opposition's hands, it, it didn't turn. He didn't turn it over very often, right? I mean, it was always a pick six when he did. But but, <laughs> but from the standpoint of how many turnovers Kyle Trask was responsible for, it was a relatively small number when you added together the fumbles and the interceptions, particularly in twenty twenty. And and, and, that's, and asked how many times he was to throw. Yeah, well, so that's going to be the thing, right? Is that is that he's only thrown one interception. He hasn't fumbled yet. And so you look at Emory Jones and say he has not shown a propensity for turnovers. His numbers suggest that he's going to be above average throwing the ball. I don't think he's going to be great. He's going to be above average throwing the ball, kind of maybe where Kyle Trask was in 2019. When you look at that, I think he averaged something like 8.6, 8.7 yards per attempt, which you know that if, if, if Emory Jones averages that, I think we're all going to be really, really pleased. I was about to say, you the- give me that with his ability to run. I'll, I'll sign me up right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that, that that actually, I mean, my biggest concern is can he stay healthy, yeah. right? Because you can't be running a guy fifteen times a game in the ES in in the in the SEC and rely on that. Like, if you need to use that to beat Tennessee, and if you need to use that to beat Vanderbilt, then you're in trouble. Because then when you get against Georgia, he will have already taken a bunch of hits, and at some point, you're going to have to like, you know, you're going to take a hit to the ribs. You're going to take a hit to the back. You know, like Justin Fields got drilled mm. in that game against Clemson. Like that sort of stuff happens regardless of how elusive you are, and that's my biggest concern is just keeping him healthy. Because as you, you know, Nick Fitzgerald, you could run because he had to. The question is going to be: Do you have to run Emory Jones, particularly against teams that are inferior? If you can, if you can torch him through the air with Emory Jones without having to put him in harm's way, and then save those running plays for when you play Georgia, when you play LSU, and when you play Alabama, then I think you have a really good shot going into the season to have a really successful season. If you got to run against the Vanderbilts and the Missouris of the world, then I get a little bit worried just because it doesn't matter if the opposing team is less physically imposing. Over time, you take 12 to 15 hits a game, it's going to add up. And by the time you get to game 11, 12, and 13, it's just going to be rough sledding. Uh, yeah, we uh, well we've you know we had our offensive preview uh, a couple months ago. You know we've discussed at length uh, already about how this offense would change, uh, but a couple other things that would change and, and start this spring as well. And look, that that's leadership and, and a change around the quarterback position. And look, leadership is hard to measure and, and see sometimes. It's uh, it, there, there's a player like Tim Tebow where he wears his emotions on his sleeve and everybody can see it and you can see the type of leader he is and it's just it's just out there. Uh, then you know, there's the type that lead by example and, and more their play. And you don't have to be this demonstrative leader for everyone to see. Most aren't. Uh, but but your play, your demeanor uh, can go a long way towards that. And this is the first time that Emory has to be in that position. Uh, you're the quarterback. You need to have to be the leader. This spring will be big for that. And look, it's only part of, and, and, you know, and what happens in real games in the fall will be the ultimate determining factor here. Uh, but it starts here. Uh, and, and one positive here. He's been developed for this. You know, he's not some grad transfer coming in and trying to get acclimated within the team. He can hit the ground running because he's been in this offense for three seasons. Uh, he, you know, he can, uh, heck, yeah, I mean, he can work with, on the leadership aspect without having to worry about, you know, learning the offense. And to me, that's big. There's a lot of change outside of him taking over at quarterback. 
bevy of running backs that that want carries and, and working into Marcus Bowman. Uh, but but the biggest is you know getting a rapport with all the targets uh, he'll be throwing to a receiver. He's been he's been around the offense the last couple seasons with Swain and Hammond, Cleveland, Pitts, Tony Grimes. Those guys no longer here. Uh, so so you know his leadership will be instrumental in in working in so many new pieces for this Gators offense, and he should know this offense like the back of his hand and can share that knowledge with all the changes going on. So you know having a quarterback and not necessarily just because you know, he, he hasn't started, uh, you know, and he hasn't played a whole lot, uh, but being around the team and being around this offense, you know, he can. I, I think you know the the off the field stuff, the leadership stuff. I think he can work on that and not having to worry about the other stuff, I think can go a long way in that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's probably already established himself as a leader if it's going to happen. Right. Because yep. he's spent three years getting ready for this moment and has had to swallow his pride a little bit. Right. I mean, you Felipe Franks gets hurt and Kyle Trask comes in. And I think we all thought, I know I did that it, when the injury happened to Franks against Kentucky and Kyle Trask came in, I was like, Oh, well, this is just a one game stopgap because it's on the road and they don't want to throw Jones to the wolves and Jones will be in next week. And, you know, a year and three quarters later, we're talking about Trask about the, you know, competing for the Heisman trophy. So the fact that he stuck it out, the fact that he stayed in Gainesville, the fact that he's got faith in Mullen that he's going to get an opportunity to start, I think says something. But, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting this year is there was a lot of talk about how Trask and Pitts, back when they weren't starters, were working out and do, putting in extra time and building camaraderie. And, you know, the other players see that, right? So no one thought Kyle Trask didn't deserve the spot when he got in there because he'd put in the hard work to deserve it. And, you know, if he wasn't gifted enough or if he didn't know the offense well enough, they would have put him in. But he won that backup job, and I think everybody believed that he won the backup job who's on the team. So now you go to Emory Jones. What kind of work has he been putting in on the on the backfields? You know, what kind of reps has he been – how has he been doing with mental reps? When Trask has been the guy pulling the trigger in practice, has he been paying attention and making sure that, that all the right reads are there and, and that he understands where to go with the ball and all those sorts of things? And that sort of filters into leadership because at the end of the day, the quarterback has to ask everybody else around him to prepare – properly for the game and in order to do that you have to be over prepared for the game and you know again it's not something we've seen thus far but the leadership aspect that trask took on it wasn't a rah-rah stuff right. for the most part from trask except for one time on the bench they got him cursing out one of the other teams <laughs> but other than that it wasn't really rah-rah for trask it was lead by example it was everybody admired the fact that he'd stuck it out that he could have transferred, but he didn't, that he put an extra work on the side with pits, like all those sorts of things sort of snowballed into the fact that everybody just, you know, looked to him for leadership because of the work that he put in. You know, Jones has had the opportunity to do that the last three years. I don't know necessarily that he's going to be able to flip a switch now and become a leader. I think that if he's a leader of the team, it's because he's been putting in the work the last three years. And that's, that's sort of what I expect to see. Good stuff. Good stuff there, Will. And look, it, I think we can, Honestly, say, you know, with this offense, the, the point of contention last couple of years has been this offensive line. Uh, that's going to help Emory Jones. It's going to help this run game and this transition to this more run focused offense. And let's move there next, Will. And the first offensive line unit we saw in practice one, of course, I knew I, I expected it. And I also expected the comments that came along with it. So we'll go left to right here Richard Garage, left tackle, Stuart Reese, left guard, Ethan White at center, Josh Braun, right guard. And Gene Delance at right tackle. So, of course, everyone went straight to Delance at right tackle. And look, come on, spring was going to start that way. Uh, this, 
I, I know I fully expected him to be pegged as the starter there when spring opened up uh, as much as he's played there. Uh, now we saw some shuffling there late last season with Stone Forsyth playing some right tackle, taking the, the Lance off the field. But, you know, Florida doesn't have that luxury with Forsyth going this spring. Garage is that left tackle, uh, that left, uh, the, you know, the right spot back open for the Lance and fully expected that to happen with all the experience there. And look, I get the frustration from the fan base and, and if him still being back on the field in that role, but let's remember that the, there is a spring to figure all this out. This was just day one uh, of spring practice. And there were some injuries there last season that halted much change being made on the offensive line. But I, I'll tell you this. If you don't want Gene Lance back on the field in the starting role, then someone else is going to have to step up to supplant him. That, that, that's pretty much, to me, what it boils down to. Don't blame him if he's out there starting. If he is, hopefully you know, a shift in offensive philosophies that is more suited for him and he improves. But if not, it, it, isn't it up to another player to go out there and prove that they deserve to be out there? Uh, you know, and, unless you don't really trust the staff to put the best players out there. But you know, if the Lance is still out there and it looks the same, then I think we can raise the questions, why isn't there someone better that's been developed that, that can take over that position? Yes, offensive line recruiting took a big hit by, you know, non-qualifiers in recent seasons, guys transferring out before even, you know, getting a spring practice or stepping on the field. But, you know, the same the same performance can't be had there at, at the right tackle spot. But, you know, so, so with DeLance starting spring at right tackle, then either he either improves enough to keep the job, and if not, that's what spring football is for, over 15 practices, go find the best players that deserve to be on the field. And if somebody deserves to be out there, you know, hopefully they're out there at right tackle. Yeah, I mean, I, I get why people would be frustrated. Certainly, Delance was the was the, uh, I guess, point of emphasis for people who watch who were watching the games. But I do think that if you looked at his run performance versus his pass performance, he was much worse in pass protection than he was in terms of being a road grader. In fact, there were a few times where they actually ran behind him, specifically, I think, because they liked his strength and his ability to be able to push back the defender. So if you think about what they're doing from a transition point, and I think you say the same thing about Stuart Reese as well, that coming from Dan Mullen's Mississippi State offense, the reality is, is that he's much more of a road grader than he is a pass protector as well. You had those two guys on the right side of the line, and then you had a quarterback who was slow as molasses, but an excellent drop back passer. And it wasn't necessarily the best combination for the type of offensive lineman that you had. Um, so I expect DeLance to be better. I think everybody gets better, right? I mean, you miss the spring practice. You come into the season. You're running an offense that maybe doesn't necessarily fit the offensive lineman perfectly. Offensive line requires a lot of cohesion. Stuart Reese is brand new there. DeLance, it's really sort of his first time starting extensively. And, you know, they struggled. And they, But you saw progress as the season went. I think I don't think people want to hear this, but, you know, there were some stunts against, against Ole Miss that Reese and DeLance completely screwed up. And by the time you got to the end of the year, they were starting to pick those up. Not 100%. You certainly have the play against Tennessee where he didn't even move, and then the defensive end came flying around him. And so those sorts of things, those mental mistakes are going to need to stop. But I think if you watch the film on DeLance, you can see that there's a little there's there's talent there. The question is, can you harness it and can you be consistent with it? And I don't have an answer to that. But I think the point you make in terms of that there needs to be somebody else to step up is a good one. You know, there's a reason why Marco Wilson didn't come out after the throw, after the shoe throwing incident last year. They didn't have anybody else to put in there, and you know part of that falls on the coaches for not having somebody to put in there, but part of it falls on the lack of spring practice, the lack of other people stepping up. 
right? Now, maybe that's a fault for the coaching staff requiring too much from guys to step in and give them a shot in the actual game. But, you know, you can't just prance in and say, hey, I'm going to be a gamer. I'm going to loaf during during practice and then come into the game and then expect them to put me in if somebody else underperforms. You know, at some point you are what you you are what you put down on tape. And these guys in practice clearly haven't been putting down enough on tape, at least over the last 12 months, to really supplant DeLance even as much as he struggled. And even when they made changes in the LSU game, it's not like things improved. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen Trask get hit that much in any game this year. And many of the times he's getting hit was after they'd taken Delance out of the game. So this is I know it's going to come across as I'm being a Delance apologist. Believe me, that spot needs to get better. At the same time, you know, give me an answer, right? Show me someone who's capable of stepping in and show me the improvement. Because when they brought other guys in last year, it's not like the offensive line got worlds better. And, and the thing is, people, you know, the 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 biggest thing is, well, anybody will be better. Well, co- coaches don't think that way. <laughs> That's not the way coaches think. It's not like, okay, we, uh, we'll go throw Dave Waters there at right tackle because uh, you believe me, if you see my size, that, that ain't working anyway. But people are like, oh, it can't be any worse. You know, co- coaches don't think that way. You know, coaches, as you said, will go by practice reps, go by tape. Uh, and you know, if, if, if you haven't proven that you can go out there, they're going to keep the same guys out there. You are not the prototype SEC right tackle size. <laughs> that is for sure. I'm not prototype SEC size kicker. So. <laughs> I, I might be the prototype SEC weight for right tackle, but I'm about four inches too small, about 20 years too old. But yeah, you know, I mean, here's the reality. You know who you've got with Dan Mullen. He doesn't put people in that he doesn't think are ready. You know that when you commit, you know that when you root for his team, that he's not going to put somebody in until he really thinks they're ready. So a guy like Kyrie Elam, who probably could have started from day one, doesn't make it in for significant playing time until like the fifth or sixth game of the year back in 2019. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head wondering, how did they not see Kyle Trask was better than Felipe Franks back in 2018 and certainly in 2019? Um but, you know, again, you've got to be better than the guy in front of you, and it has to be substantial for you to get in there. And that's maybe the question is how substantial does it have to be? And maybe that's actually the benefit to having all the young guys that you cited earlier, right, is that, you know, they're choosing between two young guys. It's going to be whoever plays better because there isn't a guy with four years of experience to throw back there at strong safety or something like that. But, you know, I mean – Obviously, you need some leadership. You need some experience. I think that's something that Mullen feels like he has to rely pretty heavily on. But, um, you know, 2021 is going to be a development year for Florida. I think we're going to see some growing pains on the field with all the young guys who are out there. So I do expect them to be a little bit more um, young player heavy. But hopefully the fact that we've got a couple of cupcakes also sort of um, allows that to happen too, right? I mean, jumping right into the game of the year against Ole Miss with no spring practice, I think did exacerbate the issue in terms of being able to get young guys in there in terms of being able to potentially make some changes, right? I mean, you can have a guy make a mistake in pass protection with your second string quarterback in when you're up 63 to nothing against an FCS opponent. You can't have the right tackle make a mistake when you're up by seven on the road in an SEC game. You just can't. And so, you know, you're going to go with the guy that you think has – has shown himself to be better, even if it's close. I still think you go with the guy that has the experience and the guy who's been there before because he may not be great, but you at least know he's not, you know, he's going to consistently be not great as opposed to somebody else you might put in there who might be catastrophic. Uh, well, some more. Well, before we switch uh, sides of the ball, just some early notes, uh, before you know, took quick notes here for, for the offensive first three. Uh, early in the third practice, uh, where the team was in full pass for the first time. 
the defensive line looked better than the offensive line where you know players lined up one-on-one drill just hit and push each other uh defensive line you probably would say had the advantage there you know and and, and look a lot of this is catch 22 <laughs> you know if the defensive line is going to be good then of course you're going to slam the offensive line the, but that's how that's just the nature of spring practice uh one more uh is later on the one that garnered a whole lot of highlight highlights uh and headlines yesterday will demarcus bowman catch and run on a guess it a wheel route uh there so uh it's glory go, 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 um beautiful to see uh, in all of its glory there the the, the wheel route from uh, i think it was anthony richardson throwing it to bowman catch and run there and but look a lot of the comments were Oh man, you know all this combined. The offensive line isn't ready on on the Bowman wheel route catch and run. Oh, it's the same old defense. I mean, all right, come on, guys. It's 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's practice three. Not everything's going to be magically fixed in in an off season in, in early spring practice. Uh, you know, especially the Bowman wheel route. I mean, let's see. The, the linebacker was picked on the play, much like the Georgia game. Uh, and, and it was a play that you know worked on one of the best defenses in college football last year over and over again uh that you know georgia struggled with with that play versus uh, florida last year and one more thing you go find me a linebacker that can cover demarcus bowman anywhere and i and i'll uh, i'll give you a whole lot of credit there so look it's early spring practice things like this are going to happen but for demarcus bowman isn't that what you want to see from him? You know, isn't that what you kind of expect to see from a five-star running back that you know, you, you wanted big time in recruiting and, and and all that? You see a, a highlight like that. That's kind of what you expect. So look, that, that's the story of spring football. If something good happens, something bad at the same time happens because you're, you're going against each other. Man, you must be listening to wrong pe- to different people on Twitter than I am because all I, all I saw were people trolling Kirby and like <laughs> forward and tagging Kirby on the on throw to throw to Bowman. I saw it all. I saw it all. And, and you know the thing is, is that, yeah, you're right. It was a beautiful throw by the quarterback. Bowman was wide open. I think the effortlessness with which Bowman glowed, glided down the field after he caught the ball was something that you went whoa. Like that, that's, that's pretty cool. And even like, day one, look, I, I know these things are set up for, you know, you, you're supposed to look good right now. Everybody's supposed to look good right now, but I'm telling you him taking handoffs and just going through the trash cans and all that kind of stuff. It, it still just looked different. The, the speed and the burst, it, it does, it does look different. Well, look, I mean, the, the funny thing is, is that when Kadarius Tony came to campus and I'm not comparing Bowman, Tony, they're yeah. very different players. But when Kadarius Tony came to campus, you knew the first time you saw him essentially tear his ACL when he tried to stop and damn near hit the ground because he bent over so far. He went, <laughs> all right, that's different. Like whether or not they can harness that, whether or not they can turn that into a guy who's extraordinarily productive on the field, I don't know. But that's different. Like that's a skill that you don't normally see, the ability to change directions and the ability to go from zero to 100 and just like that. that it's unique. And this year, Dan Mullen was able to figure out how to utilize that skill for the most part, putting Tony into the slot and, and using him to dictate to the defense what they were doing and obviously having Pitts along helped as well. So that's what I look at Bowman at is you see him run down the field and you go, that looks like it might be a little bit different. (laughs) And Florida has not had a lot of guys like that over the last decade. Right. I mean, every, everybody since 2008 has been the next Percy Harvin and we've never had the next Percy Harvin come onto campus. And some of that is there just hasn't been anybody who's flashed anything all that different. I mean, we had Andre DeBose who straight lines running back. 
yeah, I mean, you know, Demps and Rainey yep. were were excellent players, but they weren't guys that I think you looked at and said those guys are different. And Bowman's got some size to him too, so it's not like he's just moving fast. He's also a pretty pretty big dude for a running back. I, I think that's going to be the thing is as we watch the spring, those are the types of things you're looking for. I remember you and I went to the spring game a few years ago, and they threw a little uh, they threw a little uh, bubble screen to Kyle Pitts, and he caught it. And he took like three steps and went like twelve yards. And you and I just sort of looked at each other and went, whoa, like that's <laughs> different, right? So that's what you're looking for. I think, you know, there's all sorts of lies that are going to come out about the spring, all sorts of discussion about how things are changing and they're getting set up properly and all these sorts of things. And we won't know whether that's true until the first day of the year. And, and they go out there and we either see the same mistakes or, or everything's been fixed or somewhere in between. But I think what we're going to be able to see in the spring is the guys who pop. Right. So you're going to be able to see Anthony Richardson when he has an opportunity to run. What kind of shiftiness does he have when he's out there? You're going to see Demarcus Bowman. Clearly, he can catch out of the backfield. That's a good, you know, if it's it's not like he was fumbling it as he went down the field. So if if Bowman can be a weapon in the passing game, then you got a guy who's a true three down back. And all the stuff we've talked about with Michael Pirine, like being able to shift him out to wide receiver giving him all those things to give defenses fits, you can do the same thing with Bowman if he's able to show that. So those are the types of things I'd be looking for. And, and the same thing on defense, right? Is Brenton Cox popping? Is Diabate popping? Hopper, um, you know, the new guys that they're bringing out there. You got Marshall. How's he doing at corner in terms of his ability to stay with the wide receivers? Those are the types of things. Like the guys who look different are the guys – is the thing you can glean from the spring. I think for the most part, you know, a linebacker getting picked – isn't really at the top of my list of things that I'm concerned about when watching yeah. the spring game. Yeah, especially, as I said, third practice of the spring. I mean, we can we can cut up a little slack. I know we all want the defense to improve, but, I mean, you know, there, 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 there's, some, there's some good from that as well. Well, the, the, the one thing I will say is that there's not a lot of slack that's going to be given because they decided to keep Grantham. And yeah, I'm, right. I, am, I, I am on record as saying I think Grantham should have been let go. But I'm also on record as saying I think that we now need to get behind Grantham as a defensive coordinator and give him time to fix things. Um, but many of my brethren in Gator Nation are not going to give him much more than the first quarter of the first game of the year to actually <laughs> fix things, and that's just the reality, right? So FAU better not score on that first possession. <laughs> because of how bad they were last year, the, the fuse for Gator Nation is going to be relatively short. And you've already seen that, right? There are people who are already convinced yep. that Grantham is the wrong guy for the job and are going and are looking for evidence as to why that's true. And I think one of the things that we can hopefully do as maybe cooler heads in Gator Nation is say, okay, like slate clean. We know what we liked and didn't like last year. Now let's look and see if we're seeing progress. If we're seeing progress, then let's sit down at the end of the year and say, all right, was that progress significant enough that we should go for another year or is it time to make a change? And and hopefully the vast majority of Gator Nation will give Grantham and Mullen that sort of benefit of the doubt. But, you know, if Alabama comes out and puts 55 up in the, in the swamp, um, nah, there won't be any time given to Grantham. Absolutely. So, Will, yeah, we just transitioned to defense here. Uh, kind of naturally here. And let's we'll, we'll start with Zach Carter and um, he, him talking to the media uh, after after the first practice he did, and you know, one of the top players on the team, where there aren't many proven 
uh, players uh, on this team, experienced up front at multiple positions. But he wanted, you know, he came out and said he wanted to master that that defensive end, that strong side defensive end position. Uh, and look, with the additions in the transfer portal of Shelton Newkirk in the middle, you know, he gets to focus on, on that position and hopefully improve his draft stock. Uh, he's shown the versatility to play inside, but w- we know we saw it plays best at end. Finishes uh, redshirt junior season. 36 tackles, but he led the marks uh, in, in tackles for a loss, nine and a half, and sacks uh, with five uh, for the Gators. Broke up two passes, forced to fumble, 12 uh, quarterback hurries as well. So look, this team already had Kyrie Campbell to Daryl Slayton departing, so there needed to be some experience up front with the additions of the, tra- the transfers at defensive tackle along with Gervin Dexter you know, still developing along the way. Carter deciding to come back was big in providing some 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 proven depth up front that could really pay off uh, if the guys in the middle can hold up and, and Carter can stay and concentrate at that defensive end position. Now, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like he was going to be some big time NFL draft prospect and, and and turn out to be a high draft pick. But you know, his feedback was good enough to where if he would have left, you wouldn't have been surprised if he if he had done so. So you know, he wants to get his degree, he says, and, and help his team at the same time. And a quote here from him. One thing, I really wanted to get my degree. Um, I tried to get it in three or four years, but it didn't work out like that. So I really wanted to get my degree. I also just wanted – I really wanted to leave my mark, leave my legacy at this program. I think that was important for me. I just know that this football stuff, it doesn't last forever. I'm excited that I could possibly have a future in the NFL, but everybody says it stands for not for long. So it's just good to have that degree. I think more guys should have that attitude towards football and school, but everybody's in a different situation and position and that was a big thing for me. So uh, coming back to school, coming back, uh, you know, Will, uh, look, if he would have got a high draft grade, I'm sure, you know, for, first, second, third round, he, he, he'd be in the NFL. He'd be preparing for the NFL draft. But we did see a whole lot of good things. And look, when well, I, I mean, we'll probably save this for a future episode or something, but when you start listing off top proven playmakers for Florida, probably start Kyrie Elam, Zachary Carter might be second. And I don't know who you put behind, behind those two guys as far as, you know, over your know, offense, defense, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you start with those two. Uh, Carter, Carter coming back and explaining his reasons for coming back, I, I think, you know, we're looking for leaders on this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Zachary Carter can bring that. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly showed that he had some emotion last year. I think sometimes he let the emotion get a little bit overboard, <laughs> particularly I'm thinking about the Missouri game, obviously. But there you're defending your teammates, and I think we sort of appreciate that as well. Um, you know, like you said, nine tackles for loss the year before four and a half, the year before one. So he's progressed each year. Um, I, I think a big part of of – Carter's value is not necessarily that he's just going to beat some guy off Mm -hmm. the edge at defensive end. It's that he's a three down guy because you can move him inside, right? So you can have him on the outside setting the edge as the defensive end. And then you've got Cox running from the buck, but when you get a third down and seven, a third down and eight, you want to bring an extra pass rushers, a guy like Summerall, a guy like Bogle on the outside. If you want to send Diabate on a blitz, well, now you can slide Carter inside. He's used to playing there. He's used to playing with those those guys on the inside. You bring maybe your big guy out. In fact, I think you start looking at the defensive line where you got Dexter inside, Carter at defensive end. And then you've got Shelton and Newkirk. And then on the outside, you've got Cox. All of a sudden, you're feeling a lot more comfortable about the Mm -hmm. defensive line than you were last year just because there weren't a whole lot of bodies. So now you can start naming the bodies that are out there. But I think I've said this before, but the thing that really I think Carter reminds me of is sort of the New York Giants defensive line where they were able to move Justin Tuck onto the inside 
And then I think they had Pierre Paul and a couple other and Strahan, I think, was out there too. And so they had a they had guys who were who were situational pass rushers and they could move Tuck onto the inside and they were able to really flummox the Patriots in, in a couple of Super Bowls by doing that just because the interior offensive line was not as adept at picking up pass rush and they were able to get a bunch of pressure up the middle make Tom Brady uncomfortable. Carter gives Florida sort of that unique ability, his versatility, being able to slide into the inside on a third down while still being able to get some pass rush from him on first and second down, I, I think is a, is a significant ad for the Gators. And, you know, for him personally, I think coming back to get a degree, obviously, you know, if he was a first round draft pick, he's probably going, but one of the things about leadership is delayed gratification, right? Being able to say, Hey, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to work my way through this by coming back for my senior year. I'm going to set myself up for a better financial position. You know, we hear all the time about athletes who end up going to the NFL or going to the NBA and end up broke five or 10 years later. Somebody who's willing to take a step back and say, yeah, I might be a sixth or seventh round draft pick, but if I can get up to second or third and get my degree, recognizing the NFL isn't for long, that sets me up in a better position for life. And so it and sounds we like a journalism degree. So maybe we can, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe down the road, uh, we can, we, we, we could be talking to Zachary Carter. Hey, I tell you what, we've, we've always got a position open for Zachary Carter over <laughs> reading reaction. If he'd like to, if he'd like to come and contribute. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I look forward to, uh, to working with him in the future there, Dave. Thanks for the opportunity to, to bring that one up. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we'll try to take advantage for sure. Um, Hey, look, Will, you mentioned, uh, some players and, and how all these players work together and and, and and becoming a formidable front. Well, some help inside could come in the form of one true freshman and early enrollee and turning heads right now just because of his size. 432-pound defensive tackle Desmond Watson now. Look, I'm not sitting here and going to say a true freshman is going to come in and, and, and get out on the field in that position in the SEC and come make a difference in, in year one. That's tough to do. But he does have what you can't teach, and that's size. And, and not only size, but movement at that size. Even at 432, you watch some of these early highlights that we're seeing from spring practice. He's still showing that speed that many pointed to in his recruitment that got him labeled as a, as a sleeper type of recruit. Uh, a guy that, you know, that big, he's, he's not supposed to move that fast, Will. Uh, so, you know, he, he, he has some bad weight to lose. Uh, and, and, you know, Mullen mentioned it in, in his pre-spring press conference. They're, they're going to work on that. He's lost eight pounds from his arrival arrival weight of four hundred and forty pounds. So you know, so so Nick Savage has got a project here to to mold a bit. But uh, these early videos and he's showing that flash of size and speed. We all look forward to seeing uh, when he committed and signed for the Gators. Yeah, well, hopefully his roommate's Ethan White. Because he's because he's going to need somebody to commiserate with when he just wants to die after some of the workouts that Savage has put him through. But yeah, I mean, you can't teach the size. I I think about a guy like Terrence Cody for yeah. Alabama who who really did struggle with his weight even while he was at Alabama, but provided them so much up the middle. And one of the things Grantham's defense is a little bit different because it's a, it's a little bit inside baseball, but it's um. You know, it's it's not a two gap scheme up front in the three four. It's a one gap scheme for the most part, which means that you know the defensive tackle doesn't necessarily have to take up two guys. But 
if the defensive tackle takes up two guys, that really frees up the linebackers to roam. And so a guy, one of the things we saw last year is that guys like Diabate and Ventrell Miller oftentimes were getting mauled by the pulling by the pulling guard coming around, couldn't get off of them. Yeah, they'd come up and take on the block as best they could, but you got a 300-pound guard coming up and taking on Diabate, who was what, like 225, 230 pounds? It's just not a fair matchup. If Watson can contribute, especially on early downs, just by occupying a couple of a couple of offensive linemen that frees up the linebackers to make the plays and we've seen what could happen with Ventrell Miller when Mm -hmm. he's given an opportunity to get a running start and take on the running back in the hole he's proven that he's capable of being able to do that in fact I would say one of his strengths is being able to diagnose the hole and hit the running back in the hole when he's got an opportunity to get there the weakness is obviously when an offensive lineman gets on him or going side to side um and Diabate, his strength is going side to side, but obviously one of the things that he struggled with last year was when an offensive lineman was coming at him. So if Watson can keep those offensive linemen off of the linebackers, that's a big that's a big win for Florida's defense. I'm not really looking to rely on a true freshman who's more of a development project, particularly not just physically, but also learning the scheme. You look at the guys they have up front with with Shelton and Newkirk and, and Dexter, I think they're probably pretty set. But again, you can't teach size at that position at some point. I mean, I think I saw a drill where he was going up where where Shelton was going up against Watson. And and it literally looked like me when I was 12 against my little brother when he when he was nine, right? Just a much, much bigger dude. And you know, so he may get some opportunities. And you know, I think a lot of that's going to depend on how well he responds to the stuff that they're putting him through this summer, how well he's able to lose that bad weight. And then, you know, how quickly he can pick up the scheme and what they want him to do up front. Yeah, you know, it springs not only potential for that season that you're getting prepared for that year. You know, it's also down the road uh, a bit, Will. And like you said, you you or I, neither one really think, you know, Watson's going to be this big SEC defensive tackle year one. But at least you see the potential that's there and what this coaching staff has to work with. That's what gets you excited there. Now, don't get me wrong. If he's out there making plays, then, you know, by all means, go out there and do it. But, you know, I, I'm just saying everything, all the good that we're seeing, all the size and the speed, you know, you know it still has to translate to SEC football play, being able to hold up. Uh, you know, you may see him late in games uh, when he's a little fresh and the offensive lineman's maybe uh, worn down a little bit, but wouldn't expect to see him all four quarters of a game in his freshman year uh, playing snap in and snap out. So uh, Mamou Diabate got on the microphone and probably one of the better interviews, Will, I, w- I would say, uh, really forthcoming with how he approaches uh, the, the media. And look, he said – Missing missing a time like this hurt him last season since he was playing linebacker, uh, more linebacker and not, you know, edge rusher, pass rusher. Uh, came on at the end of last season, but, you know, it took time before he felt comfortable uh, in that transition to playing linebacker. Um, he just sounds more comfortable in, in what he's being asked to do. And that got me thinking, though, you know, of players that could have used last, you know, spring last season because of fitting into different spots that you – did see better play from as the season wore on. Diabate is one of those tradings, another. And, you know, we got to talk to him as well. You know, Diabate playing more linebacker, Dean playing more safety, and both finding their way to better performances as the season progressed. So now, you know, this spring is a building block for what those guys missed last spring, but also to build on their late season surges. 
Yeah, I mean, Dean started to show some flashes there towards the end. Obviously, the interception against Alabama, but he did start to get more playing time at safety as the season wore on, and I suspect that has a lot to do with him getting more reps and and also the struggles of the safeties as well, where they were sort of searching for somebody to put back there. Diabate struggled in pass protect or in in pass coverage, I think, very early on. Though so did Birdie and and so did Miller. To be honest, um, I think he got better as the season went on. Obviously, the whole defense got torched by Najee Harris, Diabate included. Um, against he did some Alabama. good too, though. Well, sure. I mean, look, yeah. I, I think, but, I think the, the story yeah. of the Florida's defense was that it was a system failure, right? That yeah. that that on a play where the defensive line got pressure. The corners were playing eight yards off the line of scrimmage, and it was an easy pitch and catch. <laughs> On a play where the defensive line couldn't get to the quarterback, they had great coverage, and then the but somebody was able to come open. You know, on a play where everything was was uh, where all the blockers were occupied and they got penetration, a linebacker got out of his gap, and all of a sudden a big run, you know, a big gash happened because of it. Like uh, there was just no consistency, and so I, I think. Diabate showed flashes of what he can be, but I think the thing that he's going to need to work on between 2020 and 2021 is consistency. And that's the thing I think that's best. That's the thing that I think makes me feel good about him going in. And what he said today is that, you know, he talks specifically about the COVID break. And the COVID break, since he didn't have COVID, gave him time to really sort of get acclimated after a couple of games, figure out what was going on, and make adjustments. And then he was much, much better after that. I think we saw that, right? We saw mm-hmm. Diabate really made some strides. And, you know, in the Kentucky game in particular, I'm remembering some plays where you know he's four or five yards behind the line of scrimmage, and all of a sudden he's right next to the quarterback when he realized he had the opportunity to, to go after the running back stayed in or whatever the case might be, but his closing speed is really, really impressive. And so as he knows where to go in, as he understands where he's supposed to go and what his assignments are, that closing speed is going to serve him really well because all of a sudden the anticipation will come along with the closing speed. And, you know, he dropped, they had him on the edge and he had four sacks. I think he had three in one game, but he had four sacks in 2019, only one and a half in 2020. Part of that's the position change. But I think part of that is also not always having the anticipation that you need to have to play that position. I expect we're going to see that this year as he's had more time to watch film, more time to practice, more time to be in the scheme. Now, last thing on the defense, and Will, something that uh, should have fans feeling a little better about the defense is it sounds like more man-to-man defense is on the way. Uh, Trey Dean, quote from him, Coach, Coach McGriff, I think, is second to none. He's one of the best defensive back coaches in the country. It's a lot of discipline, a lot of man-to-man concepts, Dean said. And at the end of the day, we got to win our one-on-one battles, no matter what Coach Todd Grantham calls. we got to go out there and execute, win our one-on-one battles. And that's what Coach, McGriff, Coach McGriff's bringing to the table is teaching us how to win our one-on-one battles. So, Will, no matter man defense, zone defense, you know, find me a defense first that communicates and that can have some confidence out there. I think the confidence was shot uh, last year in how, in how that turned out. Uh, and, look, if – you know, and with that confidence, if that comes from playing man defense, then so be it. You know, that historically suits Florida athletes and, and the type of defense Florida played uh, in the past with the type of athletes that they can bring to the table on the defensive side of the ball. But, uh, you know, at least, you know, from, from trading's comments, you know, mentioning man to man, mentioning what beat, beating your guy one on one. Look, how many times did we see last year guys, they were in position at points and did not and not make the play not be you know marco wilson in the texas a&m game 
comes up to o- over and over again. You know, I'm not trying to pick on Marco here, but you know, that's the game that 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 comes out uh, uh, there, and you know, you're kind of just laying out for for a deep pass versus a an A and M receiver that beats him time and time again. But you're not just him. You know, Donovan Steiner, Brad Stewart, and those guys were in position many, many times, just not being able to make the play, not winning their one on one battle. Uh, and will you, you mentioned, you know, defensive alignment alarm, sometimes lining up so far off of the uh, the, the wide receiver, and you know maybe some, you know b- playing more a more aggressive man defense. If you can go out there this spring, get some confidence in your man to man ability, then you can you can scoot those DBs up a bit, and not be afraid to, to to get beat deep. So you know, hopefully, you know that's a that's a welcome change that Coach McGriff. Uh, like everything, of course, is going to sound rosy right now. That's just the the, the the nature of the beast in spring practice. But at least we get some glimpse of some things they're working on when the player comes out here and mentions one-on-one, man-to-man defense. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I still think yeah. that, you know, the, the reality is, is that um, you have to be able to play man-to-man in the SEC. You have to be able to play zone in the SEC, and that's dictated by the quarterback. It's dictated by the situation. And it's dictated by the opposing personnel. So I'm glad they're working on it because they need to be able to do it in certain circumstances. But to believe that they're just going to play only man or only zone, yeah. I, th- I think, is is not accurate. What's going to happen is is that you know they're going to play against a team that has a guy who's a huge weapon at wide receiver, and they're going to end up shading a second guy over towards him, or they're going to end up putting Elam or Marshall on him one on one, and then double teaming everybody else, and then you're you're basically forcing them to. Or yeah, you know, so there's a bunch of different strategies you can have when somebody's got one really good receiver. We'll see what happens when Alabama comes to town because Alabama's going to have Billingsley and they're going to have Mechie maybe, and you know they're likely going to have some really good guys out there. And and I'm assuming that is it Brian Young or the the new quarterback they're going to have taking over for Mac Jones. I'm assuming that they're going to still be chucking the ball all over the place and probably Bryce, have guys out Bryce there. Young. Bryce Young, Bryce Young, yeah. So have him chucking the ball all over the place, and they're going to be, uh, you know, the talent on the outside is going to be significant. And the question is going to be when you come up against that level of talent, can the defense can the defense hold up? Um, they're going to have to play some zone at some point this year. They're going to play an awful lot of man. They they play sort of matched coverages, matched quarters a lot as well. Yeah. Um, Grant's and, not going to just – it's not in his history. He's not going to completely shift focus and just go out there and play <laughs> and play man yeah. defense. But, he, he's, but, he's, his own, he's his own guy. Yeah, but I think the point you make is an attitude one, right? The yeah, fact that Tradian's right. going around wearing handcuffs. The, <laughs> fact, the, the, the fact that the defense is trying to get an attitude. I think that's the thing you want to see. Now, obviously, if you have a big attitude and then you get torched, you look you look kind of stupid. But if you have an attitude and you go out there and you play well, then okay, the the edge makes a difference. Yeah, you know, thinking, attitude is not you know struggling on defense and you finally make a good play and you know you stand up and make some kind of pose that, that that's not toughness. We, we saw that last year that, that, you know, that, that needs to become, you know, something pre-snap and, and, and consistent. Yeah. Well, I mean, so the attitude is great. So long as it comes along with the dedication to learning your craft and making sure that you're doing the right things. So, you know, wear those handcuffs, as long as the handcuffs mean you've paid attention to detail in your technique and paid attention to detail in your scheme so that you're in the right place. Because you can handcuff an opposing team playing his own defense just as well as you can playing a man-to-man defense. And the reality is, is that with Marshall and Elam, if Marshall's as good as everybody says he is, with Marshall and Elam out there, they're going to have the ability to lock down guys on the outside, which means you're going to be able to do a lot of different things 
with the slot and with the tight ends and those sorts of things. And, and I think it'll free up the defense to do a lot more. The fact that Marco Wilson struggled as much as he did last year really handcuffed them in terms of what they could do because they had to worry about the outside. The safeties had to worry about the outside. If you don't have to worry about the outside anymore, then the safeties can roam a little bit. And I think Trey Dean's going to show that he has more range than Donovan Steiner or Sean Davis did last year. And so, you know, there's a possibility that you put Trevez Johnson back there. You've got Trey Dean back there. You've got Marshall and Elam on the outside. There's a possibility for a significant upgrade at the at the defensive back position. Again, though, to your point, you sort of mentioned that the confidence was shot by the time you got to the end of the year last year. I like seeing the aggressiveness. I like seeing the handcuffs. I like seeing the attitude. And I like them talking about playing man-to-man because if they want that mano-a-mano, one-on-one matchup, then they're not afraid of it when it comes up in the game. If Grantham calls a zone, that's fine. You back out. You don't have to be as aggressive. But when he calls man-to-man, you're ready, you're prepared, and your attitude is such that you're ready to take on that challenge. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, this is, look, they had to be embarrassed last year. There's got to be some pride uh, in there. You can't throw around DBU if you if you go and play like you did last year. So you know you want to live up to that to that to that moniker, get it back uh, to what people know Florida to be. Uh, then the the improvement starts uh, this spring in 2021. So all right, there we go. There's a kind of review of the early 2021 spring practice, and uh, we have a lot going on, a lot, lot to discuss uh, there, but. Uh, I know you know enjoying, in, enjoying Oliver and and new baby life, but uh, what what's what's on the heels of reading reaction? Yeah, so I'm actually going to be drafting something this week. I think about the SEC schedule. Um, Nick had written something about a week, week and a half ago about his take on the SEC schedule, and I've got my own, um, and really sort of tying it in with the playoff and how to avoid having to expand it to eight teams, but also getting Clemson and Notre Dame out of there. So, um, you know, hope, hopefully people enjoy that. And then, um, I, you know, there's some stuff I've done on some high school, um, high school film with Emory Jones, but I'm going to take a look at that as well and sort of say, all right, what does he do well? What does he not do well? at least coming out of high school. And so if he starts doing these things well for right out of the gate, you know he's developed over the last three years. So there will be something coming up the next week, week and a half on that as well. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC and his site, readingreaction.com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>